he aha te taonga o tātou, he tamariki. What is our treasure? It's our kids. Tēnā koutou e te iwi, whakapiri mai, whakatapa mai ki tēnei hōtaka a te ahikā. Ko marae a rakuraku a hau. Ko Justin Murray tēnei, welcome to the Kaupapa Māori program Te Ahikā on Radio New Zealand National. Justine was in Blenheim a few months ago and you were drinking on the job, Justine. No, Mariah, I was researching, touring <laughs> the Tohu Wine Vineyard with manager Mondo Kopua. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Ooh. That is delicious. So what what are you doing there, um, Mondo? You have to swirl it. Oh, I'm just, just getting a little bit of air in there. And ideally, this just because it's been recently bottled, ideally you wouldn't be drinking this straight away. You'd leave it in the, um, in the bottle for maybe a week or two or a bit longer, and it'll change slightly um, the taste. I mean, if, we, if you could come back in another week or another month and you'd try it again, you'd probably find some different um, tastes in there. And Justine also talks a little bit to Taylor, General Manager of Wakatu Incorporation. They own Tohu Wines, whose fiscal and cultural responsibility stretches to tangible and intangible things. So, what considerations come into play when you use ingwa Māori or Māori names to brand your product? That, that quality... Um um, range or, or benchmark that the industry uses. So, so that's why we chose the word taonga. And Kaumatua, when our label first began, uh, we named wines after specific Kaumatua in our community as a tribute to the contribution that they've made to us uh, over there and, and celebrated their achievements on the um, back label. So we have different wines. One, one of our wines, El Rore, um red wine, Pinot Noir, celebrates the self-determination and leadership of, of our senior kaumātua. For everything that exists, Māori have a story about its creation, from people to insects to the geothermal region in the central North Island. A story about Ngātoroirangi, the creator of geothermal activity, kicks off this week's edition of Te Ahikā. I'm Justine Murray. I'm Mariah Rakraku, and this is Te Ahikā. First up, a tūwhare tour carver, Delaney Brown, whose work can now be seen on the main road in Taupo. Hey Justine, you know when you think of that part of the country, what comes to mind? Snow, because of the mountains. Yep. Skiing and, you know, it's a little bit touristy, I reckon. Volcanoes. The mountains, Tongariro, Ngaruhoi and Ruapihu. So say you're commissioned, as was the case with Delaney Brown, to create a sculpture that not only incorporates all those elements, but also commemorates the relationship between a power company, the people of Taupo, and the Wairake geothermal region. Well, something like that would involve a lot of consulting and research. And of course, you'd have to include you know, the story of how geothermal came to Aotearoa, which is attributed to Ngātoroirangi. Which is exactly what Delaney Brown did. The concept of the um, sculpture was the coming of geothermal, and probably as well most Māori knew, uh, it come via our ancestor Ngātoroirangi. But this would be in my words, and from what I what I know, Ngātoroirangi was 
without him, our, our tribe, Ngāti Tūwharetoa, probably wouldn't be here. Um, he was a discoverer and an ex- explorer who um, navigated the the Arawa canoe from Hawaii, which landed in Maketu. Now, uh, from Maketu, um, he performed various ceremonies which, which um, acknowledged the land and, and gave us safe passage, I believe. And uh, he journeyed from Maketu inwards. Now, Ngātoroirangi wasn't um, just an ordinary person. No, every time uh, since I was young, I would put him on par with the likes of Moses, how he parted the, the seas to um, to help pave the way for his people to freedom. Well, Ngātoroirangi done a similar, a similar act, except he called for the geothermal activity once he uh, reached Taupo. Um, he performed various ceremonies on uh, certain mountains as well, like uh, Tohara. And then uh, from Tohara, he claimed a lot of the lands uh, for his descendants to be guardians of. Um, from Tohara, he journeyed up towards Tongariro. And it wasn't just a, uh, I'll go and climb that mountain. And um, through my understanding, after doing this carving and whilst carving it, I found that there was a um, a lot of um, ancestors and knowledge come come to me, and I was privileged to be able to experience some of what they had gone through. So, um, yeah. So Delaney Brown, as he Ngātoroirangi was moving around the central part of the North Island, those spots are where there is geothermal activity nearer. So there's geysers here. Tumariro's a volcano. That's what you mean, isn't it? Well, all of those things and uh, many place names as well. As you know, uh, a lot of place names either got their got their name by an event that happened there, mm. or uh, the, an event that took place with an ancestor and his actions. And Ngātoroirangi was responsible for a lot of place names being named from Makatu to Topo, um, and a lot of actions that he done as well. So you've encompassed all of that storytelling into the sculpture that you ended up creating, Nera. Yeah, it's um, it's hidden and encrypted in there in places. Ah, where only you know. <laughs> so you know, some carvers that I've spoken to, they've said that at times I've felt that it's almost been fate that they've had to carve a particular piece. Does it feel that way for you? Yes, in the beginning it didn't. Like, uh, the story was too beautiful and too big. I felt, I thought, well, no, this is the biggest story in our iwi, and this is the biggest person. I mean, uh, Ngātoroirangi himself, um, his prestige and his, his mana and his power, it, um, he's a person where all of these things, they couldn't be measured. Uh, so, to when I was approached, I, the concept come forth, but it was still to be passed and still to be shown to the Komatua. And when it was, I automatically thought, well, I don't think this this is going to happen. But because um, that is a historical decision to make for our elders, um, they have a lot of weight on them. Well, as a carver, you would have felt quite a lot of responsibility as well. Yeah, definitely. But. Uh, when Komatua elders and that, when they um, put their hands on things and 
and give it their blessing, then I knew that the path is clear, as Ngātoroirangi would have in um, his journeys with some of the ceremonies he performed. Um, and with Ngātoroirangi as well, we journeyed through the story with the elders, and uh, we come to a lot of conclusions, and I did myself as well, with uh, the likes of Ngātoroirangi coming this way, journeying inwards from Hawaii, climbing these various mountains. Uh, it was his destiny. Um, there was no, as you, you're talking about, um, destiny or fate. Uh, all of these things that he did, it was what he was born for. I mean, in my eyes, it was already written in the Book of Life. Now, at nine metres high, I mean, it's it's a pretty big piece, eh? Yeah. Did you go through a whole process of getting the tōtara, milling it? Yeah, things pretty much come come flying once once you uh, do the karakias. That's been the most important tool and, and process that's taken place through this whole job, right from the beginning of the concept to the sitting with Komatua, to the collecting and gathering of logs. As soon as uh, they had given the go-ahead, it was um, pretty straightforward. The next karakia was to the bush, to uh, Tanea Mahuta, and uh, he opens up those doors. So I could imagine all the logs up the forest, they would have been um, arguing who was... <laughs> they would have all putting their hands up and saying, yes, it's me, it's me. But, you know, we talk about fate again. There were logs there that were born to to do this piece, and they've been waiting thousands of years. These uh, tōtara logs that were used, they were um, well over a 1,000 years, closer to 2,000 years old from the eruption. So right from their birth, even right from the the bird that actually um, may have carried the seed, that bird might have been his fate to carry the seed and plant it, and then the tree grew. But all the while that tree was growing, it knew where it was going. So how much of a buzz is it for you to now see your your piece standing in its place? Yeah, I'm pretty hard to please, especially on myself. Every time I see it, I've got to sort of, um, hmm, what could I have done better? And, um, yeah, it seems a little sad too that the journey's over, but there's new journeys uh, on the horizon. So if that was fate, obviously fate has more in store and... Um, Hopefully the next mahi that's in store that fate has in line, hopefully it's as, um, as nice as this one because this project was real important because it brought a lot of um, different parties together and a lot of people. I've just got to um, sort of acknowledge uh, contact energy in this role. One, one thing I found with them was they were willing to, um, to take a leap a leap of faith into our world because a lot of the process is used. Um, that's what I found uh, awesome Awesome with contact is they were sort of blind where they were going. So they had faith in me and in our elders to perform whatever we had to do without them trying to get to, um, well, you know how people who aren't sure of things ask million questions and why this, why that? They just went... Whatever we said, they just said, yes, we understand, just whatever you've got to do. So, um, yeah, just for their, their leap of faith. And I believe it's, it's brought the total community and a lot of these other parties to the table and uh, we're able to move forward along with our 
with our um, with our chief uh, one from one angle was um a lot of community and um non maori we're we're listening to the story and um gathering an understanding and uh, that's what I'm all about. Kia ora, Ngāti Tuwhare Tua Delaney Brown. He carved a nine-metre waharoa that stands at the cenotaph in Taupo. For a definition of a waharoa, do head to our webpage, tiahika at radionz.co.nz, and you can click through and you'll see it. And, of course, you can always email us at tiahika at radionz.co.nz if you need any additional information. Now, Justine, seems overall it was an incredibly positive and pretty painless process, eh? I love what he said about the logs arguing about who would be selected to have the honour of having the story carved within them. It's a lovely way of looking at it, eh? Wakatu Incorporation is a Māori business located in Nelson that looks after the financial interests of the descendants of four iwi. There's Ngāti Kuata, Ngāti Rārua, Ngāti Tama and Te Atiawa. Tohu Wines is one of its business operations situated in the Awatiri Valley in Blenheim, around that Marlborough region known for all that sunshine that is so ripe for vineyards. I think there's something like over 50 vineyards there. Maybe 100. But translated into English, Tohu means signature, so signature wines. And the company has pretty much consistently used ingwa Māori to brand their product which brings into play some basic questions around copyright and intellectual property, not to mention the appropriateness of associating alcohol with Māori. For example, is naming a range of wine komatua appropriate when it's a term used to describe an elderly person? And does placing Māori names on wine mean Māori endorse drinking alcohol? As a general manager of Wakatu Incorporation, responsible for the culture issues of the business, those are some of the questions that Rupata Taylor has had to ask himself. Uh, part of my role is to ensure that uh, that everyone in our organisation understands what our cause is and understands what the whole point of, uh, of Wakatu Incorporation is and we don't lose sight of our purpose but also what our drive is and uh, we measure that against our traditional values. So uh, that might, uh, and in a in a tangible sense, that might be looking at something like kaitiaki tanga, uh, and our traditional custodial responsibilities to look after this taonga, uh, these lands from generation to generation. Or uh, on the other side of the coin, it might be how we interact with the natural environment, in in terms of how we uh, develop our, um, our our business economically. So my job is to is to measure that in some respects, uh, depending on what the sector is, and uh, and provide a uh, a conduit between business and culture, so that we are we are focused on uh, culturalising our commerce, not commercialising our culture. So Rupata, about two months ago, as I mentioned, I did um, get the opportunity to visit Tohu Wines and, and take a tour of the vineyard with uh, Mondo Kōpua. Um, now, the whole branding behind Tohu Wines and, and the, the logo and the, the the values, the core values of that particular entity, you know, how do you incorporate tikanga Māori or Māori core values within a essentially Māori-labelled business such as Tohu Wines? 
Well, I think you start by talking to your people about what your vision is and uh, and what you're trying to achieve. So Tohu for us is a face in, um, in the wine industry. And so we have to go back and sort of consider, well, what's appropriate and what enhances what we're trying to achieve without diminishing our, um, our culture and uh, without crossing any uh, cultural taboos that we that we're not comfortable with. So it's about checking checking in with, with our community on a fairly constant basis about those things and uh, not losing sight, as I said before, about what the point is. So it is about kaitiakitanga. It's about the utilisation of those um, of those lands to provide and generate wealth for um, for our owners, uh, for our for our community, for our people, uh, in a way that supports their sense of self identity and um, and doesn't you know sort of really do any harm. So we don't target whilst we're involved in alcohol, we're not targeting that product at our community. Uh, we live in wine country. That's our that's our tribal territory. So um, we are participating in the industry because it's appropriate. But um, but we're also very very conscious of our social responsibilities as and cultural responsibilities as well. If we can talk more about the brand um, Ropata. I guess one thing that kind of struck me, in a sense, was reading the brochure, and, it, and especially the, the Māori names that are used to, uh, to essentially promote tohu wines. Names such as Komatsua, which you know we understand is is a is a pillar of our Marae community, and Tonga, which is a treasure. You know, these names associated with alcohol. How is that? You know, how did you come to that con- conclusion to include names such as Komatsua and Tonga? Yes, yeah, so that, that's a good question, and and certainly it's something that we've given a lot of thought to. So um, those are um, those are about the tiers of quality actually uh, inside um, that, that are used. So ones that in mainstream industry are familiar with are words like reserve uh, for the highest pinnacle of quality that's um, that's possible with any particular vintage is sometimes results in a in a, um, in a reserve um, wine. And, uh, what and does so, reserve mean, Ropata? Is it aged? Uh, no, reserve means of the highest quality oh, right, at sorry. harvest. And so when, in, in, in terms of looking at our own culture and thinking about, well, what, uh, you know, where do we draw some of our symbolism from? What, what, uh, what, does it, what do we relate it to? And, and, and certainly we've had lots of discussions around things like the pātaka tradition, uh, which is another one of those words. So the yes. Pātaka, our traditional um, uh, storehouse. Storehouse. And, and of course, that, that's the name for um, the range of wines that are available in, um, in supermarkets. So it's trying to look at what is iconically and intrinsically Māori and, and, and making, it, making us and our culture relevant to the world that we live in today. So that, uh, those three tiers of pātaka is the you know sort of cellar door selection. The premium range is taonga, and um, and we sort of thought about well you know what do we what word do we use uh, that makes sense and is is fairly simple and straightforward for most Māori to understand, and equates to what the, uh, that 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 quality. Um, um, range or, or benchmark that the industry uses as well. So, so that's why we chose the word taonga. And Komatua, uh when we first introduced, uh, when we first, um, when our label first began, 
Uh, we named wines after specific kaumata in our community as a tribute to the contribution that they've made to us uh, over there and, and celebrated their achievements on the um, back label. So we have different wines. One one of our wines, Eldore, um red wine, Pinot Noir, celebrates the self-determination and leadership of, of our senior kaumatua. Mm-hmm. And uh, another one is Mugui, which is um, our Sauvignon Blanc um, Reserve, uh, which is the nickname for um, one of our other kaumatua that uh, has been an inspiration to us throughout his life. And uh, he's uh, recently just retired from the uh, from the board, and he, uh, he's been involved in, in Māori corporate governance for a long, long time. Uh, and we we tell his story as well as and so we and and really the um, the tier of quality that we call Komatua or reserve is a tribute to um, to the their leadership uh, rather than uh, perhaps following down the individual route we um, we we decided that we would we would name the whole reserve range after our Komatua in general rather than uh, necessarily specify them going forward. And so as part of your role, do you oversee the monarchy? I mean... I do, I yeah. do. So that's the contact with all the shareholders, all the owners. Yes. Uh, managing the scholarships and associate programmes, the, um, the all of the engagement with our people. Our families uh, go through um, a sector. The cultural policies around things like um, uh, resource management and uh, the um, culturally significant sites, cultural layers and the cultural footprint of the organisation as um, the um, the GIS um, uh, system that we use over our lands, and uh, and the protection of um, of um, of wahi tapu, that all um, that all fits under monarchy as well. So it's pretty varied. Ropata, within Wakatu Incorporation, um, how many Māori are employed? Uh, not a lot at the moment. Certainly, one of our uh, I would say that we would be similar to most Māori commercial organisations in New Zealand today. In I terms think, of you don't hire many, you haven't hired many Māori? Uh, no, in terms of finding it difficult to um, to recruit Māori that have um, that have skills in the areas that Māori businesses invest in. Right. That's um, that, you know that's a challenge for us. The messages that Māori children get at school about careers uh, tend not to be in the areas where we either have post settlement investments in areas like incorpor- where incorporations invest. So you know we're not sending Māori children messages about property development and property management. Uh, we're not sending them messages about uh, about uh, science uh, is, and uh, technology. Uh, we, we've, and I suppose we need to have, a, uh, as a people, have a think about those messages that we give our, our young people to help equip them and prepare them to lead, own and run uh, Māori, Māori organisations. So, um, you know, kaupapa Māori such as te reo Māori, tikanga Māori, how are, um, are those at, at any time in, infused, for want of a better word, into the into the core business of Wakatsu? Yes, they are, they are. There is, um, there's a number of, like, we're a values-led organisation and all of the senior management um, have to report against our core values. And so we're talking about things like um, manaakitanga, kaitiakitanga, uh, the Fanaungatanga, um, for example. So all of the exe- all of the executive and um, and the um, the senior management team of the subsidiaries, their key performance indicators are based around 
their alignment and manifestation of those traditional values in a in, in a relevant uh, commercial context. So, is it fair to say, but do you, I mean, do you come from a strong marketing background? No, I come from a <laughs> Maori um, studies background. Actually, I was a real teacher for many years. Kapoi. Uh And I like the challenge of uh, of communicating our culture into a commercial context and commercial and communicating commercial information to to my family and to my my relatives and my people so that it, so that they understand uh and uh, understand what's happening with their businesses uh in a um in a way that makes sense to them from um and communicate that in a in a cultural way so how does that translate over practically into the actual wine business? Justine found out when she visited and toured Tohu Wines Vineyard with Mondo Kopua. Ko Nati Toko Iwi, Ko Hikirangi Tokumona. Waiapu toku awa, uh, ko rua taupare toku marae, no wairau ahau, he kaimahi au mō tohu wines, ko Mondo kōpua toko ingo, te hei mauri ora. Um, my role, um, the group vineyard manager for Tohu Wines, um, overseeing and managing uh, their two vineyards, uh, the Awatiri Valley of 71 hectares and Waihopai of 36. Three full-time staff and one part-time staff and outside of that we use a range of contractors to provide various services to us. Uh, I interact a lot with the winemaker Bruce Taylor and the other uh, team in the wines office. Uh, predominantly I'm based at the Awatiri Valley and I've been overseeing this vineyard on a day-to-day basis since uh, Boy Beecham's retirement last year, October. Prior to that I was managing mainly the Waihopai but had some responsibilities with both vineyards. I commenced permanently with uh, Tohu in October 06, pretty much on the eve of the birth of my first uh, child. Yeah. And it's also when we had um, quite a big frost, actually, so it was quite an um, introduction to the industry. But, but I guess what sets Tohu apart from any other wine company is, is who we are really. We're the only indigenous um, Māori wine company that's, um, that's around and there's a lot of other companies that have Māori names on their labels or on their vineyards but as far as I'm aware uh, Tohu is the only Māori owned uh, indigenous uh, wine company and certainly um, working with Tohu um, our tikana and our, our values permeate throughout the organisation and that comes not only from the Tohu board but from one of our major shareholders, Waka too, where a lot of our cultural aspects and values 
a practice and they just breathe in everyday life really and certainly we have wānanga where staff, uh, whether they're Māori or otherwise, attend those wānanga so they get to learn and understand and appreciate who we are and how and why we do business and and certainly we, um, we're not in this business just because of the cultural values. I mean, it's we're like any other company that's around. We have to return uh, a value on the investment that's made by the shareholders in what we're doing, whether it's um, grapes or whether it's forestry or whether it's horticulture or marine farming or whatever it is. But um, for me and I think other staff, that's what makes working for Tohu quite special and unique and we certainly like to convey our story I guess to anybody that comes to meet or interact with us and I think it's uh, what well, it is, it's, it's very special and unique. Justin Murray here for Tiahika Radio New Zealand National at uh, Tohu Wines Vineyard uh, located in the uh, Marlborough, Blenheim and uh, the Vineyard manager Mondo Corpola is my guide. Oh, this is very nice. Mondo, what's this area? <laughs> well, this is like um, so you could get an idea of um, this is what we have. Uh, it's a bit of a, a meeting room where we have visitors. Oh, nice. So it's like a well, like a kitchen and nice, nice table for generally relaxing. So up here we have a um, display interpretation panel um, about uh, the Abateri Valley, the Fafarua, the valley. Basically the the Weepere Trust, Ngāti Rārua, Atiawa Iwi Trust and Wakatū Incorporation. Now their logos are on these um, display posters, aren't they, um, Mondo? That's correct. They're, they're the shareholders of um, Tohu Wines, Tohu Vineyards. And yeah, that's why their logos are up there, so people recognise that mm. they're our shareholders. Our other interpretation panel has a list of the native plant species that are found on this vineyard, and the Melbourne District Council uh, a few years ago did a survey of, of this whole South Melbourne region, and our vineyard uh, was surveyed, and they found a lot of plant species that you don't find uh, commonly in a lot of other areas with a lot of um, farmland and vineyards being developed but we've got some special sites and part of our ongoing um, care for the land is we do an annual program of replanting of native plant species. So Mondo, so these plants when you're harvesting do you come across these plants? Uh, the native plants are identified in areas we don't actually have grapes planted. So we have 71 hectares of planted area in grapes and we have roughly another 30 hectares that we um, have either terraces or areas that we are not able to plant grapes in just because of the lay of the land or there's, you know, there's natural features like drains or rocks or cliffs, etc., so in those areas, some of these native plants exist, and we're just trying to enhance it with further planting. And um, just because of the scale of it, um, we have identified priority areas where we can plant natives to help 
offer some wind uh, protection to the vines and some beautification and just regeneration to um, yeah attract a bit of bird life back but it'll also help with our maintenance of the areas too rather than having lots of long rank grass we're much better to have native plant species People will obviously tend to ask the question, well, that attract birds, won't it? Because um, they all then... Are they a pest in, in terms of growing grapes? And yeah, they, they can be, depend on if uh, their numbers and, um, and the, the, the types and species of birds that are around. Um, we have them in some of our hedges, but it's about a really... We have um, bird control measures in place, but we just find that a lot of the native plant species don't attract the birds that tend to be a problem to us uh, in the vineyard, really. Um, we also have, there's a project in Melbourne with the native falcons, and the high country behind us, um, falcons are naturally found anyway, and I've, I've spotted some falcons passing through the vineyard. And Gee, that must be a cool sight. It is, see? they're phenomenal, especially when they chase the birds. So I've seen them just attack a nest and all the birds just scatter. So, yeah, no, they're beautiful to see. And hawks always give a bit of pressure to the, to the birds as well. So, yeah. This time of the year we've got all the birds are nesting. And so the last couple of days I've been going around um, doing a bit of bird scaring. <laughs> How do you do bird scaring? Um, you, well, there's different ways. You can use um, gas guns that, are, that have bangers, or you can put kites out, or you can go around your vehicle and toot the horn or the bike. A little bit of bird scaring while we're going driving around. That's certainly give them a bit of a hurry up. But no sooner will we drive oh, past. Some birds flying off the. Uh, They'll come lines. back again. <laughs> so this is just another one of um, Mondo's uh, bird chasing techniques of getting rid of the birds off the uh, off the vines, and he's turning the horn in there, flying away. Well, they've landed again. Oh yeah, there we go. Go to the neighbour's place. <laughs> so what's this land, Mondo? Do you know it in, in uh, hectares, acres, or...? Uh, well, generally I, I, I speak in hectares, and so we've got 71 hectares planted, and in total, the, I think the total land area is uh, about 106 hectares, so, which includes you know, a lot of the unplanted areas, the terraces, the, where the shoutabouts are, We've got some more pine trees down some terraces which we can't see from here. Um, so we maintain some of those areas as well actually. So yeah, apart from looking after all the vines, we've also, and this, this is Tohu's signature vineyard and this is where we host all our visitors and it's quite important. And so yeah, we spend a bit of time and resources on maintaining all those other areas as well. So we're coming into another another um, vineyard of um, in the um, Awatere Valley. You might hear that water cascading out there. So we, there are a couple of natural springs in the property, which we haven't been able to tap 
into it just hasn't been practical to be able to do that to utilize it. it seems crazy that we can't utilize the water to maybe help with irrigation but it's just it's just not practical but um, yeah we just have to make sure that we can catch it so it doesn't freshwater springs yeah uh, just in front of us so we've lost a bit of land oh, yeah. just by slipping away there so what we've had to do is pull out some of our short rows because um, we can't get access down here anymore and we'll just carry on a, a program of planting some of these banks up to hopefully protect it. So we're near a, 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 a river, stream? What's the, what's the name of that? Um... Uh, this is the Awatiri River. Awatiri River. Yeah, so it's, it's quite a wide uh, river. So even if it does flood, it's actually, because it's not very deep, it's um, the river can come up reasonably quickly but and cover the whole width of the riverbed but um, it's not it's never really deep at any one point really but it can be flowing swift so obviously it wouldn't be safe to go across it um, there are some points along the river where uh, people would drive from the other side of the riverbed over towards maybe our vineyard and at harvest time if there's been a harvester across the riverbed that might be harvesting our vineyard then they'll drive across the riverbed and up into our vineyard. It saves them having to drive at least an hour to an hour and a quarter down back to set and then come all the way back up the valley again. Yeah. And if you'd like to see photos of Monzo Kōpua and Tohu Wine Vineyard, you can head to radionz.co.nz. So we're in the vineyards and these, as we saw before, the it's like a green pole with a, <laughs> another pole on top of it. They're, they're the frost killers, Mondo. The frost killers? <laughs> the, the, yeah, those, those, those. Frost wind machines? Yeah, frost wind machines. How high are those things? Are they about, what, three, four metres? No, they're about... Uh... I'm not sure they're about 10 metres, I think. Oh, 10 metres? Yeah. So... And their yeah. function is? Well, when the temperature gets cold, they'll automatically come on and they just move the air around. So normally you have what's called an inversion layer and that's where the warm air is kind of is capped. Oh, and above, yep. Yep, so up so high. And some people will use helicopters, but... Um, but a lot more people now have, have been installing uh, wind machines, and they have for a while actually, because then you've got them on site with helicopters. You either have to book them in advance on the morning that, that there's forecasted to be a frost, and in the past, you know, you could have maybe up to 200 helicopters flying from all over New Zealand into the Melbourne region to help the frost protection. But I think people, um, yeah, in recent years, have been installing wind machines and then they're just reliable, they know that they're there. So Mondo, is this your place of work, <laughs> where we are? <laughs> well, this is, yeah, this is the staff room, so it also houses the machinery shed where the tractors and the mules and the bikes and tools etc are also housed. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's the first point of call when we come to the site to sign in and from there then we go out to the vineyard and do uh, whatever is required to be done. And we don't actually have a house on the property. I live nearby, um, other staff live in Blenheim, so we tend to work between the two vineyards depending on what work's required and we try and work it out that maybe 
we work at one vineyard uh, one week or whatever needs doing and then we all come up to the Awatere and so that way staff get um, a knowledge of what's happening at both sites because there are some differences and timings and it's just um, quite efficient for our resources to do things that way. Mm. And so up on the wall here, and, or around the walls actually, I tend to put up um, plans of the vineyard and spreadsheets of irrigation zones and blocks so people can very quickly understand what's happening and where things are and uh, should anything happen to anybody then it's a quick way of um, getting to have a look at the vineyard and appreciate an overview of uh, what we have here really. Part of our of who we are we have Māori names for our different blocks and you know they relate to those particular areas so Rotokaro is Duck Lake and in that area which you'll soon see uh, it's more than a duck lake now. It's actually a, quite a big pond, which we use for um, mainly for uh, frost protection. So we have uh, sprinklers that covers a portion of our vineyard, uh, protect us from frost, and then a portion of our vineyard also has four wind machines. And Moana, as you do in the distance, you get a, a view of the uh, the sea from there. Taumori is calm, and that's calm because of we have some plants, uh, shelterbouts around that area. Tohu, and that's where our tohu sign is. Araroa is long path. Araporto is short path. Waha is where we have the main entrance where we came in. Faro is shed, and that's where we are at the moment. Toka is rocky, and that's a particularly rocky block. <laughs> and Awanawaiti, and they are small terraces that are close uh, to the Awatiti River. So this area, I see that it's, it's Tohu Vineyards Limited, Awatere Valley. This is, in terms of ownership of this um, area, uh, Mondo, like who, who owns this particular land? Uh, Tohu Vineyards owns, owns the land, yeah, of uh, which you know, the, we've, we've pointed out before, the three shareholders are Wakatoon Corporation, Ngāti Rārua Te Atiawa and uh, Wee Pere. Um, and we, yeah, they acquired this um, land in 2001. It was a sheep and uh, cattle farm prior to that. And it was first planted in 2002. How many staff are based here on a, on a normal day-to-day basis? One. One. Me. <laughs> Multitasking. Does it get lonely sometimes? <laughs> no, no, I enjoy working on my You've own. You've got your dog. Yeah, no, we have, um, depending on this time of the year, we, we've just had um, contractors just, uh, we were in here for the last two weeks dropping all our wires, and prior to that they are up here over the last couple of months doing pruning. So it can be quite busy at times, and then other times it's quite quiet. But I think any environment where you're working in the outdoors, you have the change in the, the weather and the seasons, and with this vineyard in particular, and the different blocks, you could be on a tractor and mowing may be mundane for some people, but when you're going down one row, you get one vista or view, and then you can turn around come down another row, and then you get a different view. And it's actually quite a good way to look at all the vines as you're going down the rows. And for more photos of my vineyard tour at Tohu Wines, you can go to our website, radionz.co.nz forward slash Te Ahika. I'm Justin Murray, and you're listening to Te Ahika. So we, here we have is uh, Tohu Savion Blanc 2009, which was just recently um, bottled. 
So this will be my second tasting of it, and it's maybe your first tasting. Definitely my first tasting. It's got a it's got a different logo, Mondo. This is the new Tohu logo that was um, just recently launched. It hasn't quite yet made it out onto the market, but uh, the company just had a review of its logos over the years and just decided that um, needed just to have a bit of a a refresher. So the, the previous um, Tohu logo, um, a lot of patterns, including um, koru patterns, um, blues, reds and blacks. And the, the, the new one, the, um, a gold series of koru patterns as well. But I believe that this artwork was done by Sandy Adshead, who's a yes, renowned yes. artist. Uh, I think he's in Hawke's Bay. Uh, I'm not sure about the relationship, how that, that came about. But a company was um, used to look at our new brand with input from um, various members of the uh, Tohu team. And we decided, um, in consultation with some of our overseas markets as well, is, is to try and simplify uh, the brand, really. Um, and with different varieties, we've had maybe different cutted labels. Often the red has been the Pinot Noir, and whether it's been reserve or a standard label. Whereas I think from here on in, um, d- d- doesn't matter what the variety is, it's going to be the same colour. But the bottles may appear a bit different in shape and size. So I think we might have a, have a little try of this. Yeah. Sipping wine in the Awatere Valley. On a Wednesday. I'm not supposed to drink on the job, but well, first time for everything. <laughs> nice. Okay, so. Um, Cheers. Cheers! <laughs> Ooh, that is delicious. So, what, what are you doing there, um, Mondo? You have to swirl it. Oh, I'm just, just getting a little bit of air in there. And ideally, this, just because it's been recently bottled, Ideally, you wouldn't be drinking this straight away. You'd leave it in the um, in the bottle for maybe a week or two, or a bit longer, and it'll change slightly um, the taste. I mean, if we if you could come back in another week or another month, and you'd try it again, you'd probably find some different um, tastes in there. Mm. So, according to the winemaker, we. In this, this is fresh and vibrant with classic aromas of gooseberries, tomato stalk, and lemongrass. Would you like to try some Pinot Noir? Oh, okay. Then, so <laughs> talk to me about Pinot Noir. Uh, well, on our vineyards, actually, we grow the Awatere Valley grows uh, Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Noir and Riesling. While Hupai Valley grows uh, Pinot Noir and Sauvignon Blanc. So yeah, so this, I'm not 100% sure if this has all come from the Awatiri, but I suspect that uh, most of it has actually, so. So there we go. Thank you. And. Cheers again. (laughs) Cheers again. What taste are you looking for, or are you try, what taste are you trying to sense, um, Mondo, with a, a Pinot Noir? 
Well, again, it can vary depending on what the winemaker's trying to do or where the grapes have grown because people can make slightly slight variations in with their Pinot Noir. Um, the winemaker's comments on this particular Pinot Noir, it's, um, it was matured in French oak barrels, which can have an influence on the, um, the flavour or the taste that you're probably picking up on at the moment. And this particular... Variation it has uh, plum and cherry aromas, and um, as they say, it does have actually quite an elegant um, finish on it with a with a full palate. Yeah, some Pinot Noirs may have you know some cigar or chocolate uh, aromas or flavours. And whoa, <laughs> <laughs> like what do you mean by aromas? Is it actually in the wine? Yeah, it's um, so if you could you could um, move your glass around the wine within there and, uh-huh. and just. Um, just get the air moving in there and have a bit of a. Oh, I swallowed it. <laughs> yes, you can tell I'm not a very seasoned wine taster at all. Okay, so you kind of swirl the glass around, get some get, air get into some it. Air in it. Yeah. Yes. And then just give it a little tilt up and put your nose in there. Yes. And, and then those smell. Ooh. Well, you probably could describe maybe if there's anything you can pick up on. Mm. What comes to mind straight away? Straight away, black currant. <laughs> there you go. And then have a taste. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe, mind you, I probably just said black currant because it kind of reminds me of Ribena. <laughs> But very, 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 very nice. Very nice. Pinot Noir. Kia ora, Mondo Kōpua. And for photos of Justine's time at Tohu Vineyards, visit our website radioNZ.co.nz forward slash the Ahika and make your way to our photo gallery. Anei arangi ahipene me te whakatauki o tēnei wiki. Hea ha te tāngo o tātou. He tamariki. Ah, ko te me tino pai te, te ahu o ngā matu o ngā, ngā tamariki. I te uh, kātahi ka, ka, ka mārama, uh, he value. Uh, he, ah, ko, ko te tāngo nui ko ngā tamariki. Koina te tino, te tino mea. Uh, our greatest treasure is our children, and it is uh, it is utmost for us to not to assume that they have been given values, but to ensure that they have been given values. That's another te ahika in the bag. Next week we have Maria Barge. She's been in parts of Canada learning about ways Indigenous people have been harvesting their own power source, which could potentially be adopted by Māori. My